Welcome to the Hydrogen Struggles Leadership Podcast, the premier provider of leadership consulting, culture shaping, and senior level executive search services. Every day, we're privileged to talk with fascinating people who are shaping the future through their leadership and vision. Each episode, you'll hear a different perspective from thought leaders and innovators. Thanks for listening to the Hydrogen Struggles Leadership Podcast. Hi, I'm Ed Manfrey, partner at Hydric and Struggles and a member of Hydra Consulting. In today's podcast, I'm speaking to Mark Gabriel, Administrator and Chief Executive Officer at WAPA, the Western Area Power Administration. As part of the U.S. Department of Energy, WAPA provides affordable, clean, secure, and reliable hydropower to 700 utilities, customers, and generators across 15 central and western states. Mark is the author of of Visions for a Sustainable Energy Future, which won the Indy Excellence Award for Environmental Writing. And during his time at the Electric Power Research Institute, he led the national effort known as the Electricity Sector Framework for the Future. Mark, welcome, and thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. So you've described the situation at WAPA as a re-envisioning of the organizational mission. Can you elaborate on some of the things that that were going on when you took over seven years ago? Sure. Uh, You know, WAPA is a tremendous organization with a great history, but it really was in need of a revitalization. Uh, At the time that I joined, uh, the employee morale was low. We had gone through uh, some significant leadership changes and challenges. Uh, Congress was mad. The Department of Energy wasn't pleased with with performance. And really, the organization was what I would describe as in a sideway drift. They had a strategic plan, but it was one that sat on the shelf that was uh, not particularly understood by the organization. And our customers, who were made up of 700 utilities across 15 Western states, uh, they weren't pleased. Uh, There were always questions about finance. So it was really uh, less a, a a challenge with the the history, but more not being prepared for these phenomenal changes we're seeing in the electric utility business moving out to the future. And so now, here we are, you've just delivered a stellar annual report for fiscal 20. Tell us about some of the performance uh, outcomes you've been able to achieve. Yeah, my pleasure. And let me point out, it is really the women and men of WAPA who delivered this phenomenal performance. Uh, and that included things like returning another $270 million to Treasury for a total of $2.6 billion, with a B, in my tenure. We, our uh, overhead and maintenance cost was 0.012 cents per kilowatt hour delivered, which I think is uh, among the lowest in, in the United States. Uh, we executed 98% of our operations and maintenance budget, 96% of our CapEx budget, uh, and all of this in context of the pandemic, obviously, where we have to change our work practices. Our safety is in the top 10% of the entire electric utility business. We're in the top 25% best places to work in the U.S. government. Uh, the teams did just an amazing job. Uh, despite having to deal with all the pandemic requirements, which included moving 1,900 employees and contractors to maximize telework in just four days. Well, congratulations on that success. We've known each other for a number of years, and I often hear you underscoring the importance of leadership and culture as, as critical levers for business performance. First off, where did that 
connections start for you? And how has it been nurtured through your career? Well, you know, it's interesting. I had always noticed it going up and moving up in management in my career, but it was really a number of years ago at the Electric Power Research Institute where I, I saw a tremendous organization, uh, but an organization that was pulling in different directions. And the, the, what really dawned on me was the fact that we were not aligned in our culture. He were, here we were as an organization, uh, as one of my cohorts used to say, paid to paid to dream about the great future, and yet we had various pieces of the organization pulling against each other, competing, when in fact we all had the same global vision of what should be done. And it really came to me over time and work that we did as a senior leadership organization to say, well, wait a second, what are those areas where we can improve our culture? And then that can be driven down through the rest of the organization so that the vision and the belief that we had and the success that we can have as an organization can be spread more broadly. And I will say over time now, as both the CEO and during a number of years that I worked as a consultant, I saw the difference between so-so or good organizations and great organizations. The great organizations always had a strong culture. In fact, those strong cultures allow them to succeed even in times of real stress. That culture is really at the core of an organization. It's that sort of the unwritten words and the glue that holds people together and allows great success. And I've often heard you continuously refine and communicate the strategic importance of your industry in the world. And I don't hear many leaders communicating in such a way so often. Can you share with us what you see as the strategic purpose of your industry and the impact on the world? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I'm fortunate that almost 30 years ago, I was recruited into the electric utility business. I was like everyone else. I flipped the switch, the lights came on, and I plugged things in and they, they worked or they blew a fuse or a circuit. There is no more critical enterprise in this country and in the globe than electricity. If you think about it, all that we deal with every single day, our capabilities as we're communicating now in this horrible pandemic time, are all driven by the fact that electricity is available. It is available, it is ready, and it is there all the time. Can you imagine this pandemic if the lights started going out? Whether it is health or transportation or comfort, or medicine, or air traffic control, it all really hinges on the availability of electricity. And so I know every day when I go come home at night from work, and the days when we used to come home as opposed to working from home, I know that our people have worked hard every day to keep the lights on for 40 million Americans and to do that safely and with an understanding of the critical nature of power. So from a leadership and culture standpoint, talk about the dynamics that you witnessed when you took on the new role at WAPA. Well, we had an interesting uh, dynamic. There were a number of people in the organization who had been there for decades. And the organization candidly hadn't focused on the exogenous or extraneous factors going on, the pressures and changes in this wonderful industry. There was a lot of tension and turmoil between our regional offices. And remember, my footprint is, is 1.4 million square miles 
It's like going from Paris to Moscow and Athens to Oslo with all the politics in between. Um, and there was a lot of tension between our regions, between our headquarters. Um, and I think it was driven by uh, sort of local needs and not understanding the broad issues that we all faced, whether it was physical security or cybersecurity or how we managed our IT infrastructure. And that led to a lot of tension. It led to an organization that was afraid to make decisions, or when it did, there were so many caveats to those decisions, it didn't allow the organization to move forward. And that's something that is a challenge for all older organizations and how to make sure that they position themselves to serve the needs today, but really with a vision for what, what's going to come out into the future. So talk to us a bit about some of the activities and initiatives that you've implemented with respect to leadership development, culture, and particularly innovation. Yeah. Uh, first and foremost, about six years ago, six and a half years ago, we put together a strategic roadmap. Now, note that I didn't say strategic plan, because as my business school professor always said, strategic plan is where the rubber meets the sky. The reason we picked a roadmap was it gives us some specific directions that we were going to pursue over the next 10 years. We then drove that down to tactical action plans so that everybody in the organization could understand, gee, what does that mean? What does that mean to me? And what should I be doing to drive forward? We also then did a lot of work around culture, surveying, talking to employees. Every other year I go out and meet at least 17 or 18 different union groups to really listen and hear what the organization was saying. And a couple of things that popped out. One was around leadership, because in many cases, leaders in organizations and supervisors in particular are promoted because they've got great technical skills. So we it dawned on us, we need to make sure that their supervisory and leadership and management skills were equal to the same technical levels that they had achieved in their jobs and specifically put tools and techniques in place. We've developed a leadership roadmap, a roadmap so that when somebody comes into the organization, they know what they need to do to keep moving through the organization. And by the way, from my perspective, leadership is not just about ties and titles. In fact, leadership is for individuals to take ownership of their own direction as it ties back to our roadmap and our plans. We recently reinvigorated our core values as an organization and communicated that very broadly across the organization. We've about five years ago started an inclusion and diversity committee, which really tries to ask the question, how can we have a more inclusive and diverse workplace? And by inclusion, I mean making sure we are listening to people throughout the organization and not just the few that always want to raise their hand. And very importantly, from my perspective, it's engaging people broadly, whether they are our field crews and the craft workers, all the way through to the people in finance, certainly to the people who have leadership roles, but really making sure that people are engaged. And last, but certainly not least from my perspective, one of the things that I brought, it's important for us to be all be students of the business. One of the gaps I saw when I came in that we've really worked hard on, and somebody in finance didn't necessarily understand the implication of markets. Somebody working out in the field didn't understand why coal plant closures were going to impact our customers. So I urge everybody all the time when we go out of our way 
to make sure people are educated and become students of our business. And you recently shared some personal definitions of leadership and trust that you've developed. And, and we know these are tricky topics for leaders to learn about and to apply. Tell us where you landed. I've landed on what I call my big five. And the first is, is really the fact that you're never going to do wrong by doing right. And what I mean by that is sometimes you have to make tough decisions. When I came to WAPA, prior management, frankly, had pushed a few things under the rug and didn't want to tackle the hard problems, even though tackling those problems is critical for the future of the organization and can get you some grief in the process, as I, as I experienced in things like expanding internal audit and uncovering things that are uncomfortable to talk about. Um, the second one is that transparency is the key to success. I believe that the Western Area Power Administration is the most transparent organization, certainly that I've dealt with in my career. We instituted something five years ago called The Source. If you go to WAPA.gov, type in The Source, it lists all of our financial data, our economic data, any speech that I or the senior leadership team gives, all of our presentations and material, and most of them are published in real time so that anybody who's concerned, any of our stakeholders can find the information right away. Um, I truly believe number three is that organizations have to focus on alignment and not consensus. Consensus to me very often is the lowest common denominator. I wanna make sure that in all levels of the organization, we can sit around the table, have vehement discussions, and make sure that people get their opinions out and bring their data to the table. But at the end of the day, I want folks to walk out understanding what we are aligned about and what the decision was that we made. And that's something that is the difference between great organizations and good or so-so organizations. To me, the fourth one is leadership really means giving people the freedom to do the right thing. During my almost eight years as a consultant, I can tell you almost every one of the recommendations I made came from insights I got from people within the organization. So what that says to me is people in organizations know what the right thing to do is. They very often feel throttled by leaders who don't want to hear the answers. So let, give your people the freedom to do the right thing and they will succeed. And last but not least to me is that that really trust is the belief that I have your best interest at heart. And that came from our Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey and it took us a couple of years to really tease out when people said they didn't trust leaders and supervisors, what does that mean, right? It was, it's, it's kind of a thorny question. What is trust? And it was an employee who came to me and said, you know, Mark, I believe I can trust you because you have my best interest at heart. And that that's, was, was an aha moment for me. And it's something that I truly believe in. So given where you sit today, if one of your peer CEOs came up to you and said, Mark, I have to be a better leader and, and I want to improve my culture. Where do I start? What would be your elevator pitch to him or her? Yeah, my elevator pitch is very simple. It's, it's three things. It, number one, it's listen. And, and I mean, really listen for what is what you're being told. The second thing is make sure you are being heard. And that's also important. And the third is communicate. You can never over-communicate in organizations. It ties back to trust. It tries, ties back to all of those critical leadership skills. 
nope. you may think you've said it often enough, but I can tell you as a leader, uh, you cannot over-communicate. It is impossible to over-communicate. Mark, thank you so much for taking the time. I, I certainly appreciate our relationship, and, and we as a firm wish you every continued success at WAPA. Great. Well, thanks so much for the opportunity. Uh, please be safe. Make sure you wear your mask. Very critical. Thanks for listening to the Hydrogen Struggles Leadership Podcast. To make sure you don't miss more future shaping ideas and conversations, please subscribe to our channel on the podcast app. And if you're listening via LinkedIn, Twitter, or YouTube, why not share this with your connections? Until next time.